Welcome to the Cardiac Exchange by Medtronic. So the faculty today is Dr. Awari Hayanga, uh, Dr. Kendra Group, and Dr. Viv Rao. The topic is diversity, diversity in healthcare. So we have a panel here that is kind of diverse. Um, maybe first question to Kendra, do you agree that this panel is diverse? I think it is very diverse, especially for cardiothoracic surgery. And why do you say that? Well, I think that we all are very aware that it tends to be a very male-dominated and very white field. Oftentimes, when I go to a meeting, I will find that there's an entire panel of all white men at the podium and on the panels. And um, so this particular uh, panel is much more diverse than what we've grown accustomed to. I do believe that's changing, uh, but it has to take a focused effort um, to really be able to highlight the diversity we have within cardiothoracic surgery. Right. And is it is it similar for so so what actually what what do you what do you mean by diversity? Well, I, I think that diversity can mean many things, um, but specifically, uh, there are minority groups, whether you're talking about um, women versus men or whether you're talking about race or color or ethnicity that are underrepresented and making sure that everyone has a voice and that their contributions are made public, I think adds to diversity. So not just having a similar voice of the, the typical white American physician as the voice of cardiac surgery. The, the population of cardiac surgeons now has all different colors and races and nationalities and, and genders. And to be able to represent the entire population of cardiac surgeons, as opposed to just that traditional voice, I think is what um, how I now define diversity. So I worry, is it, so if you have a whole all white panel of male you know, participants, is is that a is that an issue? Is that why would it be so important to have a diversity there? Uh, that's a great question, and I think it depends on what the panel's mission and purpose is. Because if it is discussing an issue that affects an entire population, then the representation within that population would underscore the message and drive the message home much better than having a segment that is drawn from one ethnic group provide the message to the entire spectrum of 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 diversity that exists within the population it 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 creates a lopsided message because for example to build on what dr grubb has just spoken about Latinx doctors make up 5% of the active American provider population. African-Americans make up 5%. And so that's about 10% of the doctors that you see. But that within the US population is a group that is up to 35% of the entire population. So if they don't have a a representative within a panel that is speaking about their health or prognosticating uh, about their future, it seems a very paternalistic way of providing a message. Does it often happen that these, these panelists, they think that they represent also the African-American population or the female population? 
Do you think they can also talk about it or? Yeah. Can you repeat that question? I so, want to make sure I understand it. Yeah. So if you have a, a, a male dominated panel, um, often they pretend that they also know a lot about, you know, female healthcare or the healthcare for African-Americans. Is that a, true or is that, are they a, missing something? That's a great point because it builds on the, the very same theme that, that you have touched upon there. Uh, how do I, as a male provider, speak for a population of women in terms of their health and what they're feeling and what the expectations are for the future or the present without consulting them, without having them speak for themselves, my message cannot be as authentic as having women speak for women. And actually, it was drilled into me, I think, by my mother, that if you want to make the workplace a fair place, make it friendly to women. All the other things go away. Everything else that comes with the toxicity that com comes with masculinity, often conditioned as a child, the action dolls that we give our male children, the things we tell them about when crying is appropriate and who should cry, uh, who should wear this and who should wear that and what colors are appropriate <laughs> for their rooms. A color, pink versus blue. I mean, I don't even need to explain w which goes where. Everyone seems to understand that pink goes one direction and blue goes another. Those are the conditioning processes that we have adopted into our mainstream lives that become unconscious in their execution. And they drive this implicit bias where and conscious associations and heuristics are automatically used without thought, so much so that they are taken as being the norm. And hence, you have these divisions that are based on purposeless, missionless, visionless concepts. So what you're saying is actually very friendly. You said it's unconscious. And may I question that to, to Viv? Is it, is it often, is it unconscious or is it conscious? this kind of bias that we introduce? I think for the large part, it's unconscious. I think there are some conscious bias that we all have. Um, there's a very interesting study. It's actually on the website. It's out of Harvard. It's, uh, it's called an implicit um, attitude test, IAT. And you can look it up on Google. And it basically has six domains that they give you a free demo testing on. And it, and it tests you on whether or not your association with a particular group um, is associated with an implicit bias. And you can look at gender, you can look at race, you can look at color, you can look at education. Um, as I said, there's, there's six domains there. And you'd be surprised to take that test. You'd think that you're fairly level-headed and unbiased, but in a very objective way um, on the website, they just put pictures up with associations to certain groups and it uncovers your implicit attitude. So I think for those of us who think we're completely unbiased, you're fooling yourselves. I think there's always a level of unconscious bias. And Dr. Hyanga brought it up very nicely. It's, it's probably conditioned from birth, from how you were brought up, what your parents taught you, what your friends and peer groups you know, relate to you and influenced you. All of that goes into the implicit attitudes that you have on a subconscious level that probably influence the day-to-day the -day actions that you have. Yeah. 
So, so if we come back to the, the panel that Kendra mentioned, is is it Kendra? Does it make you sometimes feel also uncomfortable? Would, would you self confidence be higher if you are on a more diverse panel than on a male dominated panel? Well, for me, I, I it doesn't make a difference. It's kind of the world I live in, and so I had to learn to be successful in this environment, in this world where I may be the only woman at a meeting, I may be the only woman on a panel and have to understand that's the that's the position I put myself in when I chose to be a cardiac surgeon. And certainly when I also then trained in interventional cardiology. I think where it is most impactful is the young women in the audience. When they look up and see this panel of all men, they take a seat at the back of the room. And so if you walk into these meeting rooms, you will see very few women sit in the front row. And so I've actually made it a point to sit in the first four rows because it invites more women to sit in the first four rows. And, you know, I, I think that for, for those of us who have already embraced this, this is just the way my career is going to be. It's, it's not a big deal. Um, but for people who want to enter the field, it's a barrier. Having served on a panel with Dr. Grubb, I can confirm that she is not in the least bit intimidated. And I applaud you for your role modeling for other women. And, and I think that's a great idea. I think to, to get it for when you're on the panel to say to, you know, whatever um, minority groups you, you want to address, to say, come to the front row, be visible, be vocal, get involved, get engaged. Um, and look at me, I'm here on the panel because I, I did just that. So uh, kudos to you, Dr. Grubb. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely that. That's great, and also to be that role model for a lot of young young female physicians. It's important. So in our medical schools here in the Netherlands, seventy percent of the students are are females, and and so it's important to make sure that there's a diversity in healthcare. Otherwise, you know, there will also not be physicians um, uh, enough in the in the future. So it's important also as a, for a specialty as cardiac surgery to embrace more women in the specialty. I worry. Have you, are you were you always going to the front row when you were in the audience? Uh, that's a that's a great question, and I'm living vicariously through Dr. Grubb's life. You know, when you look at the percentage of African American plastic surgeons, for example, it's 1.4 percent. When you look at the African American male in medical school, the numbers have actually decreased in the past decade. It is now less than 3%. So if this was a source of intimidation, then 97% of the settings that I would find myself both in medical school and in a professional level would be a source of great intimidation. So one of the things that I think has helped is the fact that I have lived in different places where different percentages of representation are obvious. And uh, I lived in Kenya for almost two decades, and I was a majority. So I, I understand the mechanics of being a majority. I understand the status quo. Then I lived in Ireland for 10 years, where I was a rank minority, far greater than the African-American experience. And so the, the what I've come to understand is that the sheer numbers of people who don't look like you aren't the source of intimidation. It is the intent of that majority that is the intimidation. You can live as a white person in Kenya and feel every bit 
as comfortable in that country as a native Kenyan, depending on how the Kenyans treat you. <laughs> now, flip that over. You can live in the United States in a very comfortable setting with a warmth of embrace, depending on how you're treated. But the history of Black people in America is complex, mm -hmm. and it is not built on a platform of equity, equality, or love. Now, that could be changing. We can argue about the levels of that, because nothing is absolute, but the history is complex. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. The way you are treated, of course, makes you feel either comfortable or uncomfortable. And and Kendra, can you give examples where you actually felt uncomfortable? You know, it, I think that I, I've been very lucky and that I haven't had some of the experiences of some of the women out there where um, some of the, we'll call it locker room talk, um, you know, is over the top. Whether or not, you know, part of it was that I was an athlete and so I just didn't take it. It wasn't offensive to me. I didn't notice it or it was there and I, I just didn't hear it. I didn't have those experiences. But I will say, you know, as I've as I've gotten older and I mean, become kind of more aware of the way people address me, oftentimes at a meeting, uh, it will be Dr. Capitan and Kendra right? Mm -hmm. And we talk about microaggression. Um, the most offensive, um, actually, one of the interventional cardiologists, Molly Zerlup, who, you know, is, is very, very talented. It was during TCT, and the moderator referred to her as the lady in the pink jacket. Maybe intentional, maybe not intentional, but totally inappropriate. Yeah. Um, and that's where you kind of cringe. And so you ask for uncomfortable. I don't necessarily have those like uncomfortable moments, but now I have a heightened awareness. So when somebody refers to me as the, the female surgeon or the lady surgeon, I, I don't need the clarifier. I'm just a cardiac surgeon. Uh, just like a Wari doesn't need to be called the black doctor. It's not necessary. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at metronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.